Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome <laughs> to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our Minister, Katrina, is away on holiday this Sunday, so we are delighted to welcome back to lead our worship, Graham Meeklejohn from the Scottish Baptist College. You may remember that Graham lectures in theology, but he is also their communications coordinator, and I think uh, his gifts in that area will be very apparent to you. It's lovely also to have his wife, Charlie, with us. Uh, and our other visitors this morning are Bayar from Mongolia and the children. You're very welcome. I can honestly... Good morning. Good morning. Isn't it good to be here? Psalm 133 reminds us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And we come here to get today from all sorts of backgrounds, from all sorts of cultures, from all sorts of weeks. I don't know what's gone on in your week, um, but we are able to come here today to join together in unity and worship God. And that's what we're going to do today, is worship God. So let's stand, if you are able, and sing our first hymn, which is Christ Be Our Light. Let's stand and sing.
just take a moment to pray before God to quiet our hearts and open ourselves up to what God has to say to us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are our God. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your Son to dwell among us, that we might know you better, that we might be reconciled to you. Thank you, Lord God, that you are not a distant God. Though you are infinite, though you are so unapproachable, you are also a God who is close, a God who calls us into relationship with you. That you love us so much that you poured that love out to us and you gave us the spirit to dwell within us as a promise, as a guarantee of your love to us. Lord God, we look around the world and so much is difficult is happening um, in our own lives, in the lives of people we know and in the wider world. And yet, Lord God, we trust in you. We trust that you are bringing this world to a good place. We trust in your reconciliation, not just in our own lives, but for the entire world. And when we think upon that, when we dwell upon your goodness, when we dwell upon your love, when we dwell upon your power and your sovereignty, all we can do, Lord God, is come to you in worship, to praise you, to honour you, to lift our voices up to you, to still our hearts, to focus on you, to know that you are here with us. Lord God, I pray that you will truly be felt in our hearts, that we will hear you speak to us in whatever way that might be for us, Lord God, we pray that we would not leave this place unaffected by your presence, unaffected by hearing from you. Lord God, I thank you that you are our God, and I thank you that you love us. Father God, as we continue our worship, we pray together uh, with one voice, joining together in the prayer that you taught us, the Lord's Prayer. We pray, hallowed, Father God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from
Well, good morning. It's really good to be here on what is quite a wet day, it has to be said. Uh, apparently this week we started autumn. Um, I mean, sometimes in Scotland there's not much difference between summer and autumn, but officially we're in autumn, which does mean we have to say goodbye to summer, which is a shame. Uh, I had a really good summer this year. Um, I got married, which was definitely a good thing. Um, but I also went somewhere uh, that I've wanted to go in, a, in an awfully long time. Uh, it's always been a dream of mine to go here. It's apparently the happiest place in the world. Uh, does anyone know where it is? Anyone know where I might have been to? Disneyland. Yes. I went to Disneyland. I'm a big fan of all things Disney, as you might be able to tell in my jacket there. I've got a, a pin badge uh, that I got at Disneyland. I wanted to go to Disney for a long time, um, and I got to do some, some great things while we were there. Um, I got to uh, meet some of my heroes, um, which were the characters from Winnie the Pooh. I got my photo taken with Tigger and with Eeyore and with Winnie the Pooh himself and with Rabbit. Rabbit wasn't too happy because I pretended to steal his carrots. I wasn't actually going to steal his carrots, but he thought I was and he got a bit upset about it. But he still got a picture with me, which was great. I went on loads of great rides. Went to the Indiana Jones ride, uh, Star Wars ride, um, Buzz Lightyear. Loads of different rides. Also went on a ride called It's a Small World. Some of you may know it's a small world. It, to be honest, it's a bit of a boring ride. You just kind of sit there in a boat and you go round a circuit and, and the song that they sing sticks in your head for at least the next week, month, year, lifetime. Um, <laughs> but basically this, this ride is to... It, it depicts different countries around the world, different people groups around the world. There's even one for Scotland that's there, um, which has us playing bagpipes and hunting for the Loch Ness Monster, which is clearly all we do in Scotland. Um, so, you know, I don't know why we're here this morning. But, uh, but yeah, it depicts different people from around the world. And, and I suppose what it's trying to say is the world is a big place. It's got lots of different people in it. But at the end of the day... We all share a common humanity, and we all have to share this planet and, it's, and, and this world. And regardless of the diversity and culture and background and experiences, we all share something that's in common. We, we all have to respect one another. We all have to live together in the world. And, and I want to think a bit more about this today in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, how the Samaritan and, and the person who was attacked, probably the Jewish man that was attacked, we're, we're completely different from one another, culturally, um, ethnically, religiously different, and yet the Samaritan still found that common humanity and found a place to help the man who was in need. And, and so I want to think a little bit about that later on, and, and I want us to think about how, even though we're all very different, we need to listen to one another, learn from one another, and respect one another. And so hopefully, as you go out into your weeks, um, at the end of today, we'll, we'll just be able to think about how we meet so many people that are different from us, and yet we all share a common humanity. We all share this planet, and we all have to try and respect one another. So we'll be thinking a bit about that later on. Now we're going to sing our next song, which is um, going to be Let Your Little let, let your little shine, let your little light shine, I think that should be. So let your little light shine. Let's uh, stand if you're able to and sing this song. Mm-hmm. 
reading is from Luke chapter 10 verses 30 to 35. In reply Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denira and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And the second reading is from Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Amen.
Let's just take a moment to pray again. Lord God, I thank you that you are our God and I thank you that we can come together today to to gather in your name. Lord God, I pray that you will still our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us today. May we be attentive to your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It really is. I, I always enjoy coming back to a church for a second time. I mean, partly on a personal level, because it means I can't have offended too many people. Um, but it's just nice to reconnect. Uh, it's nice to catch up. Uh, it's nice to be here in, in this environment, your, your home for the next while. And it's good to hear about uh, your building work, even if it feels slow. It's, it's nice just to hear that there's progress from someone who's been here a few months apart it's good to see that there is progress there I, as I say it's been quite a big summer for me uh, getting married uh, getting married uh, well planning a wedding more than anything is quite an intense quite an involved process um, not only that with Charlie my wife being uh, American we didn't just plan one wedding we actually planned two weddings well, we just planned three, but that's a different story. We've, we, we had a reception over here in Scotland, and then we planned a reception over in California as well. Um, that might explain why we went to Disneyland, apart from my affection for Disney. Um, but we had a wedding over here and a wedding over there. Suffice it to say, it was a, it was a pretty busy wedding, a uh, pretty busy summer planning these weddings. Uh, weddings are funny. Um, well, just being, being with an American... Um, you learn things about your own culture. You don't realise how much is so ingrained in your thinking. And, and the wedding really brought this out to me. Uh, I remember one conversation very clearly that was about speeches. And I was trying to say to Charlie, in, in, in the UK, particularly I think in Scotland, um, speeches become quite a focus. They become quite a big deal. People talk about them. People anticipate them. They say, you know, I wonder how long they're going to be. How long are they going to keep me before I get to eat my food? Um, are they going to be funny? Uh, who's going to be offended? Is anyone going to cry? Like, people, people talk about them. People expect a good speech. Uh, in America, Charlie was then saying to me, well, people don't really do speeches so much. The best way to think of it is a bit of a preamble before a toast. People don't want to listen that long to a speech. And I thought, well, that's fine. What I'll do is I'll create a really good speech for Scotland. It'll be really funny. But if anything doesn't work, if any of the jokes don't work, I'll just cut them out for America. Suffice it to say, it was more like a one-liner than an actual speech anyway by the time I got to America. So that was all good. But it just reminded me once again that we are so shaped and formed by our own experiences, our own culture, our own background, that sometimes we don't realise uh, things are different, people are different by the way that they're shaped and formed in their own background. And I want to think a little bit more about that today, um, particularly in the context of the story of the Good Samaritan. But I want to get there, at least in a bit of a roundabout way. I want to think, first of all, about that passage that we read in Romans. Uh, it's a great passage. Um, it's got a lot of depth to it, and I'm really only going to give it a brief overview this morning. But in many Bibles, it will be entitled The Weak and the Strong. And I don't know how you, you read this, but I think, as a brief summary, at least what Paul is trying to say is that 
the weak, are, the weak in their faith need a bit more clarity, um, need some rules and regulations. They need things to be a bit more black and white. And it says those who are strong in their faith are able to be a bit more free in their faith, um, a bit more creative with their expression of faith, dare I say, even a bit more liberal in their expression of faith. And I don't know where you place yourself in the text. I think it's quite common to read these passages and and put ourselves in the position of the strong in faith. Because being strong in your faith is is a positive thing. Um, no one really wants to stand up and say, well, I'm weak in my faith, and, and that's great. We, we kind of prejudice our reading by saying, well, of course I'm the strong in faith. But I wonder what we miss if we prejudice the reading by reading into our own uh, aspiration. You see, I think what Paul comes around to saying, at least, is that those who are weak in their faith shouldn't judge those who are strong in their faith shouldn't judge them for doing things or not doing things that the weak in faith think they should. And those who are strong in their faith shouldn't put obstacles in the way of those who are weak in their faith. And I think really what Paul's saying is this is not about whether you consider yourself weak in your faith or strong in your faith. It's about how we treat one another. It's how we are not to judge one another's faith. It's how we live alongside both the weak in faith and strong in faith. Maybe it's not for us to determine whether we're weak in faith or strong in faith. But do we miss that reading? Do we miss that interpretation if we automatically go in and say, well, I'm the strong in faith, therefore it's for me not to put obstacles in the way. Maybe we miss that this passage is actually more about living alongside people who express their faith in different ways. Now I want to take that kind of idea, how we place ourselves in a text and how we might prejudice the reading of a text into the story of the Good Samaritan. I've heard lots of sermons on the Good Samaritan. I've heard lots of good sermons on the Good Samaritan. But I've heard very few that take it from the perspective of the man who was the victim. Usually we're taught or told that we should aspire to be the Good Samaritan. Or, or maybe we ourselves say, well, I'm the good Samaritan, I'm the good neighbor, so how could I help others? And we kind of prejudice our reading, and I want to think about it. What do we think differently? How can we look at this text differently if we read it from the perspective of the man who was attacked? Now, I'm reliably informed um, by my boss, Principal Ian, at the Baptist College, that this is what Augustine did. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to get into the depths of Augustine and I'm not going to uh, develop an analogy quite like Augustine did. But I was thinking about how Jesus' hearers, how his audience, I guess, would hear this story. We're quite often told that Samaritans were people that the Jews didn't like. They didn't see eye to eye. They were culturally different, ethnically different, and and very much religiously different. They, They They didn't get on, it's fair to say. Uh, And I wonder, therefore, how Jesus' listeners would have heard this story. Because they would have been primarily Israelites, primarily Jews. And I think they'd have had a hard time identifying with being a Samaritan, even a good Samaritan. They, They would not have wanted to identify themselves with a Samaritan at all. And so I think when they were hearing this story, they might have heard it in such a way that probably they identified with the victim, with the man who was attacked, 
more than the Good Samaritan. I think quite often we are quite happy to identify with the Good Samaritan. But I'm not sure that would have been the case with Jesus' listeners. And so I started to think, how would we hear this differently? And how would the, the man have felt? Yeah, I, I suppose I'm going into a bit of speculation here. There's no reason to suggest that this story actually happened. This was just a story. After all, we don't know that it was based on real events. But I want to think, how did the man who was attacked feel after the story? He'd been put in debt to the man who had helped him, to the Good Samaritan. And he must have been thinking of all the people it had to be a Samaritan. You know, it couldn't have been another Jew or it couldn't have been someone a bit more friendly. Of all the people that I'm now indebted to, it had to be to a Samaritan. And I wonder how he felt. I, I wonder if it says something about um, how we respond to people who are different to us. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago and I thought, you know, we're okay to think about who we might help. You know, if we put ourselves in a position of power, if we put ourselves in a position where we can help others, then it doesn't really matter. We say, well, we can help you, we can help you. But when we flip the question and say, who are we willing to receive help from? Who are we willing to receive help from? It becomes a different matter and it becomes a very different question, I think, when we say, who are we willing to take an example from? We hold the Good Samaritan up as being, this is a good example. And yet, they were culturally different, ethnically different, religiously different. And this was the example that Jesus was holding up. This was the person who had given the help. And I wonder if we ask the question, who are we willing to listen to? Who are we willing to learn from? Who are we willing to have as a good example? Are we willing to listen to those who are culturally different to us, ethnically different to us, even religiously different to us? Are we willing to have them as our good example? I think that casts the story in quite a different light. Now, if we put ourselves in the, the position of the man who was attacked, the victim, he was then indebted to the Samaritan in some way. And I think we struggle with feeling indebted to people. Um, we, we live in such a culture uh, where, I guess it's a consumerist culture, where we get what we pay for. We go into a shop, we buy something, we get it back. That's the end of the transaction. But the Samaritan put the, the man who was attacked in his debts. He didn't ask for it to be repaid. He didn't ask for any sort of recompense. He gave it completely uh, altruistically, a gift if you will. And I think gifts have a power to unlock the potential for a relationship. I'm going to read a, a passage from a book by Kester Bruin. Um, and he's talking about a book called The Gift, written by Lewis Hyde. So bear with me while I read a few paragraphs from this book. He says, in it, that's the book, Hyde proposes that there are two possible modes of exchange. One is market exchange, where gifts or currency are swapped, and the other is by gift, for which no money or goods are necessarily immediately reciprocated. In a market exchange, the scales are always balanced by payment, and there is an essential equilibrium. But with a gift, there is a constant movement from body to body, a momentum as the gift is passed from hand to hand. As Hyde said, the gift that cannot be given away ceases to be a gift. 
The distinction between market exchange and gift is highlighted by the difference between going to a restaurant to eat and having people round for dinner. At the restaurant, there is money exchanged for the food and drink provided, and so there is an equilibrium created by the payment. Nobody owes anybody anything. At the dinner party, no money is offered or exchanged. Indeed, to do so would be incredibly rude. The food is a gift passed freely from the host to the guests. As a gift, it has created a momentum, a disequilibrium, and it would be expected, although never demanded, that the guests might in the future reciprocate the gift in some way. We can see then, with gift exchange, there is always a latency or potentiality for a relationship, whereas with market exchange, everything is clearly balanced and there is no relational potential. You see, I wonder whether the man who was the victim, the man who'd been attacked, who was put in debt, created a disequilibrium with the Samaritan. I wonder if he had to think differently about Samaritans after this event. I wonder whether he found that there was a potential for a relationship with a Samaritan. Rather than it being a closed uh, transaction, suddenly the man who'd been attacked had to think differently about Samaritans. Maybe he tried to reciprocate in some way, offered him hospitality in some way, or maybe he felt he had to pay it forward to others. But the fact that it was a gift, the fact that he was indebted to the Samaritan, I think changed his perception, opened up the potential for relationship. Now I guess I want to perhaps shortcut this and get to the point. We're all the ones that need help. In some way, we're all the ones that are indebted. I think too often when we think about the cross and we think about Jesus, we talk in language of market exchange, of transaction. We say Jesus paid the cost or he cancelled the debt. But actually there's no way that God expects us to repay him. There's no way that we could repay that gift. We are always going to be indebted to God. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think God knew exactly what he was doing when he put us in that position because it opens up the relationship for us to either turn to him in adoration and or go out and serve others. We are the ones that are indebted to God. We are the ones that are put in receivership of the gift from God. The cross is not some kind of market exchange, not some kind of balanced deal where we try and work our way back to God, but we are always in his debt. And in doing so, we are then either asked to turn back to him in adoration or go and serve others in the same way. You see, I think the story of the Good Samaritan, too often we put ourselves in the place of the Good Samaritan, put ourselves in the place of the power that we are the ones to help others. But I wonder if there's a different reading. Putting ourselves in the place of the one who was attacked, the victim, we recognise that maybe we have to change our thinking about other people. Maybe we have to change our thinking to ask, who are we willing to be helped by? Who are we willing to listen to and learn from? But more than that, we recognise that we are the ones that need help. That we are the ones that God has gifted, his gift of Christ and the cross, his gift of love to us. And that our response to that is not trying to make ourselves equal with God, but is turning in adoration, turning in worship, to worship God and to serve, to serve others, to pass that gift on.
I hope that throughout this week as we come into contact with people who we see as maybe different to us, culturally, racially, ethnically, religiously, however we see them as different to us, we'll take a moment to remember this story and ask ourselves, what can we learn from them? How can we listen to them? How can we serve them? Not just come to the situation and say, how are we going to help them? But maybe flip it a bit and realize that we are the ones that need help. As we continue on with our worship, we're going to sing again. Um, Stand if you are able to. Um, And we're going to sing the servant song. Let's stand and sing now. Let us bring our prayers to God for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we know that you have promised that where two or three have gathered together in your name, there you will be in the midst. And so we would rely on that promise now as we call upon your name. Help us to draw closer to you as we come away from this short, for the short while from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. We give thanks for the gift of life in the world and we rejoice in all that is good in it. 
We give thanks for health and strength and meaningful work and play, for the responsibilities given to us and for the opportunities to contribute to family life, to the life of our church, the life of the community, and perhaps in some small way, the life of our nation and of our world. Lord, teach us to be conscious of the needs of others and willing to respond to those needs in whatever way we can. Touch our hearts and minds that we do not simply pass by on the other side, but be prepared to do what we can to alleviate needs and want. And yet, O Lord, when we look out at our world today, we see so much tragedy, so much distress, so much hunger, so much fear, so much agony, so much that brings nothing but despair. Natural disasters in the forms of hurricanes and earthquakes, flooding and destruction abound at this time. We wrestle with the causes of these events, often standing impotent in the face of the tragic consequences, our hearts filled with despair. Let us pray for all those who seek to alleviate all this suffering, the aid agencies, the international teams who seek, who seek to rapidly respond to disaster, and may we be prepared to open our hearts and our pockets to provide the means to bring relief. We pray that governments might seek to work together to bring speedy relief in the present circumstances and a willingness to set in place plans and strategies that might promote a safer and fairer world in the future. Lord, when we look out at the political sphere at present, our, mind are our minds are filled with foreboding as leaders of great nations confront each other eyeball to eyeball from behind an array of deadly weaponry. In many ways we stand on the brink, the brink of an unknown and unpredictable, terrifying future. Lord, we pray that common sense might prevail and that national leaders might seek to de-escalate the current danger and that the paths of peace and cooperation might somehow be restored. And nearer home, we seem to be involved in a tangled web of Brexit and our relations in Europe. We pray that our leaders might be given wisdom and understanding as they confront the complex mix of economic and political issues, that they might produce a result which will be equitable and just for all and to the greater good of ourselves and of our neighbours. And so we turn from the world of external affairs to our own daily lives and concerns. We may be limited in the influence that we can exert on the wider political canvas, but we can make a difference to things at our own front door, in our church and in our family and in domestic affairs. Touch our hearts that we may be willing to be truly neighbourly to those around us in life, in our job, our voluntary involvement, our service to those closest to us in daily life. Help us to be prepared to consider others first in our daily living and everyday affairs. But let us also realise that it may be ourselves who needs to be humble and willing to accept the help and the support of others. Help us to recognise that each of us can be vulnerable and fragile and make us willing and gracious to accept the approach of others who would seek to bring us support in small things and in large. Finally, we pray for those for whom today is particularly trying, those in pain, those feeling anxious or scared about the prospects of coming days, 
those concerned for loved ones, those who suffer from doubts, those who are depressed, those surrounded by dark clouds of despair. Lord, uphold them all in your everlasting arms and let each put their trust in the one who loves them as if they were the only one to love. Amen. Let's now take up our offering. come towards the end of our service we're going to sing one final song before a blessing so again if you're able please stand and join with us as we sing the song we belong to god
going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.